0: Good morning. Okay. Busy day today. Um, hmm. I grabs. Uh to grab uh, Philippians chapter 2. Um, first Corinthians chapter 2. You know what? I, I, yes. I'm going to be all over the place. I don't. I don't even know where we're going to get to. Let's just, let's just see. All right, why don't you just stand, let's pray, and we'll get into it, and where we get to, we get to, and where we don't get to, we don't get to. You know, can't, uh, can't, can't overpromise in these situations. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for who you are and who you've made us to be. As we stand here, God, we just want to yield to you and ask, God, that you would come into this room and touch us and change us and be like us. Be with us, God, and make us like you. Thank you, God, for who you are. And we pray, Lord, that you would just take over in this room right now in Jesus' name. Father, we yield now in the name of Jesus to you. And ask, God, that you would reign over us, over our hearts and our minds, over our souls and our spirits, over our bodies and all that we own, over our families, and our callings, and the places where you've put us, and the places where you've sent us, and the things that you would have us be. We love and honor you, God. We pray, Lord, that you would help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um good morning. Hope you all had a very good week. I sure did. Okay. Alright. Good. Um I want to talk to you today, oh no, it, it's not a series. We don't I don't I don't like to do series. Nope. <laughs> no ooing or eyeing Um but we've been talking about um just your soul, but I want to talk today about your mind. Um just uh, there's way too many things to say about it um, to 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 do this in one um, in one Sunday morning. But I, I want to um, the only thing that I'll probably try to uh, persuade you on, if I can manage it, um, is the importance of managing your mind. Um, I, uh, I don't dare aspire for too much, so. Well, uh, we'll we'll try to get this done and then we'll see. All right, in Romans chapter 12, verse one, which I didn't ask you to turn to because I'm just gonna do a hit and run here. um, Paul says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, you all know this verse, right? Some of you know this verse. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I love that. And then he says this, verse two, which I wanna just ask you to think about it now, okay? Verse two is one of those verses that, like, you've read probably or heard um, fifty times, but you have to think about what it says and what it means. And he says, "Do not be conformed to this world." Okay, that part's pretty clear, right? Paul says, "Don't be like everybody else. Don't think what they think. Don't believe what they believe. Don't do what they do. Don't want what they want. Don't be like the things that you find in this world, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed." I want to be transformed. You like who you are, you don't really want to be transformed. Okay, I want to be transformed. He says, do you not be conformed to those who will be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. Um, all of you is transformed when your mind is renewed. How much time do I have? All, all of you is transformed when your mind is renewed. Okay, you didn't really get that, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep going here. Um, all of you is transformed when your mind is renewed. You have to really understand the power of this. All of you is transformed when your mind is renewed. If you can manage to submit your mind to Christ, and if you can manage to, to, to move forward in the way that you think, in the thoughts that you process, and what happens in your mind, all of you changes. This is this is proving to be harder than this is proving to be. This is proving to be really hard. Um, There's a lot of people that um, that that teach about this. Um, Joyce Myers has a book called uh, um, "The Battlefield of the Mind," Um, and uh, and people say things like, "Well, you know, the the battlefield for the believer is really in your mind," and it is, but but in a way that most people don't necessarily appreciate. Like you you are what you think. In in essence. says in Proverbs 23, which we'll read um, here in a moment, probably, we'll see if we get there. Um, But listen, God can change all of you if he can change your mind. Mm -hmm. He can change all of you if he can change your mind. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that happen in your mind that we believe are spiritual things, but they're not, they're mind things. Mm -hmm. And um, when people talk about over-spiritualizing, Th- this is one of the primary ways in which Christians over-spiritualize. You take things that actually happen in your soul, in this case, in your mind, and you say that they're spiritual things. And when you say they're spiritual things, what you really mean is that they're outside of your control, they're powers and things that you don't understand, they're invisible to you, they're unapproachable to you, they're not really with, within, you know, your realm of your the ability, of, your ability to grasp them. And so, you know, you don't really have responsibility for them. But, but these are things that 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 actually they they happen in your mind, and so. I want to give you um, a few indications of, of, um, of weak minds, a few indications of strong minds. Um, and, but the, the most important thing for you to take away today, which I, I really want you to, to, to take this away, um, is that if, if there's anything you do in life, that, like, if you are interested in growing spiritually in God, what you need to grow in is not your spiritual gifts. Like, what you need to grow in is not like your influence or your prestige or anything like that. Um, spiritual maturity has to do with maturity of the mind. And in, in fact, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and and say something that I that you may think is an overstatement. You may think it's a gross exaggeration. You may think, well, no, I'm not sure if the Bible supports that. It's okay. Like just yeah, just just here. Spiritual maturity is about maturing in your mind. It's not so much about maturing in your spirit. It's it's not so much about um, about even obtaining righteousness. Uh, Spiritual maturity is about maturing your mind. And a spiritually mature man is a man with a mature mind, and a spiritually immature man is a man with an immature mind. Does that make any sense? Okay, good. I hope so. Um, There are two signs um, that are very common signs of, of, of immature mind. So when someone says that they're spiritually mature, but they don't have these things, you should just disregard them completely. Um, the first is in James chapter one, um, which I'll read to you, and the second I'm just gonna tell you without citing any any verses, because they're all over the place, and I don't want really to make, um, spend a lot of time on it. In James chapter one, uh, starting in verse five, James says if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him, but let him ask in faith, and with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person was not supposed that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Um, the ESV uses um, uh, this language, that's probably also in whatever translation of the Bible that you're using, it calls it double-minded, but in the Greek, it literally says a man with two minds. And that's what it means. Double-minded is not like, like, like a mind with a seesaw. You know, like sometimes this way is heavier, sometimes that way is heavier. It's, it's, it's different from that. It's a man with two minds. And um, what? So this is this is very interesting, right? James says, essentially that, like, if there's anything that you want, you can ask God, and He will generously give us all without reproach. Is that really pretty amazing? When you think about it ask and you will receive, you know, sort of things. Uh, it, it's, it's really true. But then James explains to you why it is that sometimes you ask without receiving. And that should be really important. Like if you care to receive things from God, this would be really important. Do you get everything that you want from God? Not yet anyway, right? Not yet. Oh man, it sucks to, like the last seat's in the front row. Sorry, John. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, so Carolyn took okay. his okay, all right. <laughs> Let the record reflect that Carolyn took. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you ever ask God for something that you didn't get? No, that's never happened to me. Yes, of course it's happened to you. You ever asked, you ever asked God for something that you didn't get? And you quoted that verse, you know, ask, you sure, to see, seek, you'll find, not going to be open to you. You're like, what the heck? Like, I thought there was a promise. It's not really a promise. This is just, it's a lie. It's not a lie. James explains to you exactly why. He says that if you are double-minded, you cannot receive anything from God. Because a double-minded man is immature and you can't handle the things that you're, about to, you're, you're gonna receive so God can't give it to you. And what does it mean to be of two minds? It means that you, that you waffle about this way and that way. Your mind is a lot weaker than you think for most people, almost everybody in this room. There are a lot of things that we think that, that, you know, that we can do that we can't do. And the reason we can't do them is not because our body is weak, it's not even because our spirit is weak, it's because our mind is weak. For instance, every single person in this room that has failed to fast, you fasted because your mind broke, not because your body broke. That's why. You didn't have to eat the donut, you did because your mind broke. You know, you didn't have to eat the yogurt, you did because your mind broke. You weren't dying, like you thought you were dying, because it was because your mind broke, not because your body broke. No single person in this room has ever broken their body in fasting. And, uh, and it's unlikely that you will, and I'm that, but that's a different sermon. But, but, It's unlikely that you would it's, but it's very easy for your mind to break. It's the same with, I mean, lots of things, lots of things. Um, have you ever tried to run a marathon? No. Okay. Have you ever tried to run a half marathon? Have you ever tried to run five miles? If you, okay. All right, good. Um, what you're training in, in, in exercise is of course you're training your body and your body does change. We know that that's, of course that's true, but almost always, in exercise your mind breaks before your body breaks almost always right like you typically stop when your mind breaks not when your body breaks does that make any sense so like what you really have to understand this like between what the bible says about how the mind impacts like the rest of your body and between your personal experience about how it impacts you you really have to you really have to understand this there are a lot of people that abandon their calling god because their mind simply breaks God gives them a job. They decide they don't want to do it. Why? Because their mind is broken. Not because they couldn't, not because they physically can't do it, but because they have set their mind on not doing it. And they've allowed their mind to be shaped by circumstances. And so the war here is in your mind. Your spiritual progress exists if you can control your mind. And your development God exists if you can control your mind. You can receive God's promises if you can control your mind. You can pray and receive answers if you can control your mind. Like it's it's not that difficult, except it is that difficult. Um, and one of the things that makes it really difficult is that we don't we don't we don't uh, con- like conform ourselves into this way of thinking of recognizing that hey like you know our mind is like really 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 important. Does that make any sense? Okay. Sign number one: You're unstable. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity, and it's a sign that you have a weak mind. Sign number two, which I'm not going to give you citations for, what Jesus talks about in John chapter seven. Uh, in, in Paul talks about it in several different places. Sign number two of having a weak mind is that you don't know the will of God. There is such a, a, a very significant battle over your minds that um, have you ever been um, amazed? how deceived some people can be. And you don't re- what you don't realize is, is that there is a massive battle that plays out over the minds of people. And this is true over, uh, if you want to do any sort of ministry ever, anywhere. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone you knew that you shared it very convincingly, but they were like, nope, not interested. And it's because there's, there's actually a battle over the mind that, like, that needs to be won. You know this. There's a battle over the mind that needs to be won, right? Before conviction really you know, takes root in somebody's heart and... and and all that, but I didn't you know that like, the devil understands this too, that he's not an idiot. And so he's been working on this for a lot longer than, than, than we understand. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul warns Timothy about what is going to happen, and, and a lot of these traits, you would think that they're, um, well, let me, let's, let's just go through it and see. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, but understand this. What does understand mean? Understand is something that happens in your mind, right? Paul says to Timothy, "I want you to understand. I want your mind to bend, so that you can you grasp this, You get it. You're, you're mature in this way. I says, but understand this: that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Why are there be times of difficulty?" For people be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive. This is one of my favorite verses. I don't, it's called just gives this long litany of sins. And I was just like, oh, wow, this is a, a very apt description of all the ways in which people can go wrong. People be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, mm-hmm. ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self control. Brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Who is weak women? It's not, they're not weak in body. Sorry, like the feminists are going to all like. Paul says to capture weak women. And it's, it's they're not, you're not, when, when Paul's describing someone as weak in this circumstance, not, you're not, uh, ladies, you're not being described as weak in your bodies. That's not what he's saying. It's, it's a weakness of the mind that, that allows people to be taken advantage of. Burdened with sins and led astray with various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. This is... This is Warfare that is perfected—that like the, the devil has worked on this strategy for for a very long time—to to be able to shape people's minds in such a way that they are always learning and they never get to a point where they know the truth. That like that's pretty incredible. Have you ever like met someone who's been a seeker for five years? Yeah. You're always learning. never able to arrive at knowledge truth. You, and you have to understand that this is like this is a battle that ra- that weight that is waged in the minds of people. Like. We don't get this. I, I, I want to tell you something like it, that hopefully will be very clear to you. If you go out to the street or to the uh, local theater or something like that, or wherever, to the hospital, okay, and you share the gospel with um, 500 people, which you haven't done yet, but like, let's just assume that you have, okay, and you share the gospel with 500 people, like really just take your time to do it, and every one of those 500 people don't want the gospel, it, it's not because you're that bad of, a, of an evangelist. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's it's not because you're that bad of an evangelist. It's because there's something that's happening in the minds of people that causes them to not be able to arrive at that knowledge of the truth. Like, okay, maybe you do need to work on your, you know, articulation (laughs) and and your arguments. Like, perhaps, perhaps. But even even without like demonstrations of signs and wonders and spiritual power and things like that, there is some percentage of people that will be persuaded by a good argument unless their mind has been bound. And they, they can't exercise their mind freely. Does that make any sense? It's an area of, of, of battle that, like, that we really have to understand. And it starts with you and with me. There's a man once that was, um, that, he, he was, he was working in his lawn. And he was t- talking about this. Like, this happened when he was a teenager. He was, he was working in this lawn, and his dad used to. Um, they, were, they were a fairly poor family. So whenever the car broke, his dad would just fix the car himself. And his dad was a very competent mechanic. And one day, his dad was working on the family car. He was probably 16, 17 years old. And he was—he was, he was uh, I think, pulling out weeds in the lawn or something like that. And all of a sudden, his mom yelled, "You know, hey, hey, come over, hurry, come!" And and so he came over. And what had happened was that his dad was had jacked the car up on on a, on a jack, and the jacket broke, and the car had fallen on his dad. Um, and uh, and, and and his mom's like crying, "Come up!" She so runs over to there. He sees what is what has happened to his dad, right? And uh, and he, without thinking about it, he goes over to the goes to the front of the car and he just like lifts it, like it's you know, like it's just. Not, you know, like, like, it's nothing. He just lifts it, and his mom, like, grabs his dad, and he pulls him out, and, and, and they bring his dad you know, into, the, uh, into the house. to check him out, and he has some bruising in his chest, but, like, you know, n- nothing, nothing serious happened. Mom was like, oh, thank God. Like, thank God you were there. And, and he was like, oh, God. And then after all that, after that happened, at the end of that, he was like, wait a minute. Did I lift the car? And he says to himself, right? And so he goes out, and he's like, well, oh, I didn't know. Is that strong? So, so, so he goes over there, and he tries to lift the car. He can't lift the car. Like, there's just nothing, I mean, the car's just not budging. Like, like you know, the, the car's not budging. There, there are There's plenty of things that you can do that you just, but, but the problem is that, like, the problem is the way that you set your mind. See, so you don't believe you can lift the car, and so of course you can't lift the car, because your mind is not there, and because your mind is not there, you're not going to be able to accomplish it. There are studies that have been run about the strength of people's minds and the power of them. It's really bizarre. If you are prone to... um. Uh, to skepticism, the next section of this is not going to be for you, so you could just close your ears, and and, and that's okay. But um, Duke has actually tried to study paranormal phenomenon, uh, which is um, and Christians don't even believe in it. We think that they're just fairy tales, and they don't really exist. And but but academics have actually studied paranormal phenomenon, and they've run experiments to prove that there are people that are actually able to shape reality with nothing more than their mind. But when you think about, you know, for instance, like a person bending a spoon with their mind, you know, or things like that, or somebody moving an object with like with a battery of their mind, you're be like, oh, number one, either that's witchcraft, you know, or that's fake, along with UFOs and everything else. You know, either that's witchcraft or that's fake. And the devil loves to take, uh, to take advantage of our ignorance love take advantage of our ignorance, because if you can believe that that's either witchcraft or fake, you never like, actually train yourself to be able to do those things. But Duke has proven that people that are not, they're not exercising witchcraft, these are, these are totally ignorant, totally off the street, completely random people, have power of the mind. They, um, they, they run experiments around telekinesis, they run experiments around just the ability of, of your mind to actually impact things. They, in one experiment, they have people throw a die uh, to try to test if, like, if the power of your mind is able to impact the roll of that die, and there's a small percentage of people, it's not everyone, not everybody can do it, but there's a percentage of people that without any training, totally randomly selected, can impact the outcome of a roll of a die, oh, merely by thinking about it. If you're like, well, those experiments can be, you know, can be, like... They, trust me, I've <laughs> studied the experiment design is, is not, like, some sort of cheating. Like, the, the, you can design an experiment of this sort in a way where people cannot cheat. And yet, you can prove beyond statistical doubt that there are people that can do this by simply willing something to happen in the natural world that can cause that thing to happen. Do you remember when God created Adam and he brought all the animals and all the earth to Adam and and he gave to Adam the entire garden of Eden, which is massive, and then he had, had dominion over the face over the earth, which is also massive. How is Adam supposed to do that by himself? With, with just by himself. This is before Eve was created. So like, he didn't have any kids, you know, just by himself. How is Adam supposed to dominion over the whole earth? There are things that God has created in you that you have the potential and the ability to do if you would shape the way that you think and if you would shape it consistently. This is not really about developing your psychics. I'm not interested in that at all. What I'm interested in is, is you realizing that the, like your very foundation rests in the, the way that you think and it is, the devil loves our ignorance because he can take advantage of it. Verse 8, just as Jan, Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed this truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. If you can be corrupted in the way that you think, you can be corrupted in everything else related to the faith. There is nothing that anyone can do for you if you refuse to change the way that you think. There's no amount of anointing, there's no amount of touching, there's no amount of altar calls, there's no, there's nothing that anyone can do for you if you refuse to change the way that you think. Do you know? Many of the great stories of men and women of faith in the Bible are are stories of people who didn't necessarily do extraordinary things physically or like normally, but what was extraordinary about them was that their mind didn't break when other men's minds would've broken. Like Joseph, for instance. In the journey they went into being sold into slavery going the Potiphar's house, being thrown into prison, like what is incredible about Joseph is not that like, he was not necessarily the most handsome or the smartest or any of that, although I was fair, I'm, I'm sure he was very competent. What was amazing about Joseph is that through all the ups and downs in his life, that his mind didn't break. That the power of the, the promise that God gave to him when he was 16 years older when he was a teenager, that he carried that with him through being sold you know, as a slave by his brothers, through the ups and downs of Potiphar's house, through into the prison, in several years in prison, that his mind just didn't break, that he continued to believe in the promises that God had given him when he was a, when he was a kid. That's incredible, because for most people that, that go through that, at some point, you begin to go bitter, offended, like, you know, unrepentful, like all these different things, but, but he didn't. And because he didn't, he was able to arrive in God's promises and to actually see the promises of God plow out in his life. But the test was not that his body didn't break. His body, there's no, like, that wasn't, it wasn't that he was being worked so hard he was going to die. It wasn't that. It was, it was that his mind didn't break. The great test of Noah was that his mind did not break over roughly 70 years of building the ark. But then after that, do you remember, and um, I think it was like 2014 when Hollywood made a movie about Noah? Well, that was a fun movie, wasn't it? But it actually exposed a part of Noah's story that I had never really thought of, but that if you think about it, it, it's, it it's, it's pretty incredible. Noah not only labored for about 70 years in building the ark, 70 years in building the ark when it had never rained before. Just think about that for a moment. David Hogan says that you should not be a missionary unless you're willing to live and die without ever getting credit for anything you've done. Because there are plenty of things in God that take seventy years, a hundred years, two hundred years to do, and if you're not willing, if like if your mind is not at the place where th- like you're willing to live that out for that to be your legacy, don't even go down this journey. Because what you're just going to quit halfway, and you know you people are going to laugh at you, and you're going to be a failure, and you're going to feel like a failure, and then you're going to abandon God. Like it's it's really bad. When Jesus is counting the costs, what what is the cost that you're counting? It's not necessarily the money. It, most people can live without a large sum of money. But the, the cost, the primary cost that you pay is a cost that is paid in the mind, in your thoughts over many years, like being willing to live in loneliness, being willing to live being perceived as a failure, being willing to live without fruitfulness, being willing to, like, that is, that's 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 the cost. That's, that. <coughs> excuse me, that's the cost. For Noah, 70 years in building the ark without any rain. I mean, can you imagine? like what kind of a mind he had in order to do that day after day after day after day. But then, but then he gets in the boat knowing that everybody else on the earth is going to die and agrees with the will of God in that circumstance. Would you agree with God in the judgments of the Lord? and in his will when it comes against the the natural just feelings that you have? If your family or your friends were going to die and it was the will of God not to save them, would you have a mind that would agree with God and labor towards his ends in that situation? It's, it is an extraordinary mind that is able to do something like that. An extraordinary mind that is able to, to, to take all of your feelings, your emotions, your latent, your memories of the earth as you know it, and like take all that and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and you take all of those things that just, they're swirling around, you, know, all your feelings, all your stuff, and take all of them and trap all of them, and then let obedience to God rise up above all those things. That's pretty incredible, I would think. It's like, that is a, a, an incredible thing to be able to do that. And yet, going far in God requires this. It requires that you've actually developed something in here that is strong enough to overcome feelings and anxieties and fears and desires and, and opinions and lusts and, and like all these different things. It requires that you be able to rise above all those things and conquer all those things. Do you know? Philippians chapter two. Paul is talking about, in Philippians chapter two, you know what Philippians chapter two is about? The, the humility of Christ. It's like, it's, it's everybody's, I mean it's my favorite. It's just, it's awesome. But I want you to see what Paul says about this, all right? So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from joy, from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Paul says that if you are in God at all, if, there's, if you're on God at all, there's two things that you want to participate in. You want to have His love and you want to have His mind. You want to have His love and you want to have His mind. Keep going. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count a quality of God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." This, you, you love this, I love this, hopefully you love this, I love this, I love this verse, I love this passage, but something that I never realized before, something that I never thought of before, until I read this again, is Paul says that you have the love of God and his mind, and he says, have the same mind and have his mind, the mind of Christ. And then he describes that the mind of Christ is, it's humility. Humility, emptying himself, humility, to the point of taking on a cross. Humility, in, in emptying himself, all of his divinity to take on human form. Humility to be a servant, humility. And then I realized something, humility. You know we've been going after, you know I talk about it all the time. We love humility, I want to be humble. What is humility? Is it a spiritual thing? It's not. Humility happens in your mind. In other words, humility is not an attribute of your spirit. Humility is a set of things that you choose to think. It's a choice that you make. The humility of Christ existed in his mind, not in his body, not in his spirit, in his mind. It's his mind, and that's the mind that Paul wants us to have. It's the thoughts that you choose to think is humility, is what it is. Pride, also, is thoughts that you choose to think. Where do you exalt yourself? In your mind, not in your spirit. You exalt yourself in your mind. And in the same way, this is really powerful, if you'll get it. Humility is a set of things that you choose to think about. And if you can, do you see? You can be humble if you can master the thoughts that happen in here. Wow, what an incredible thing. I just want to be humble. And you can be if you can master this. All pride exists in here, and all humility also exists in here. And if you cannot make yourself humble, it's because you haven't trained your mind in order to be. How do you train your mind? By taking every thought captive. It's not hard, but it is hard. Because we like to think that our our thoughts are our own. Your thoughts are not your own. Your, Your thoughts in the spirit, they're just as porous as a sponge like like it's it's they 're not your own, and so learning to like to 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 capture this is 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 really in, it's it's pretty incredible there are a lot of people that think that um for instance that they that they suffer with various things like lust for instance very common thing for young people to have eh yeah don't raise your hand i'll take that survey later very common thing for young people to have right what you don 't understand though is that like what you don't understand is that it exists in your mind. It doesn't exist in your spirit. Lust is not something in the spirit. Where does it exist? In your thoughts. Duh. Okay. Okay. Maybe not duh. Okay. In your thoughts. Duh. Okay. Uh, in your thoughts. And so your job is not to make sure that no lustful thought ever comes into your head. You can't do that because your thoughts are very porous. Your job is to make sure that no lustful thought has residence in your mind. Because every lossful thought that comes to you, boom, you slam it to the ground. You yeah. punch it a little bit because you're like, Jesus. You know? And then I see like, paw, paw. Like, you know, you want to come in my head, you can get beat up. Yeah. Get out of my head. Yeah. You know? Um, it is incredible how often you just walk around in life and you have lustful thoughts. Single people, married people, all the time. Strangers, people you know, just like it, disgusting things. Things that you'd be like, whoa, this is weird. It, it, instead, of, instead of hating yourself for having those thoughts come into you, which, by the way, is another strategy of the devil. There, the devil wants you to hate yourself when he does something that's him. It's just really, it's really, it's a very sneaky, and, and actually, it, I, he's very good at what he does. He's, he's very good. He puts something in your head, like hatred, for instance, Right? Or anger or greed or jealousy or something like that and he puts it in your head and 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 then you think that it's you and because you think that it's you and you don't think it's a demon you don't think it's a devil you don't think it's a curse or something like that, you think it's you because you think it's you, you hate yourself you're like oh i hate myself what do i think this way what you should do is be like that is a devil and i'm gonna take that devil next i have free reign over here and i take that devil i'm gonna squash him boom 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 and don't you dare come back and and because it's not you. But if you can get, if he can get you to believe that, first of all, you'll meditate on it, and you'll be like, oh, why do I think these things? And Oh, why is it growing I'm Because you're meditating on it. <laughs> and second, you'd be like, oh, I'm such a terrible person, why do I think these things? Stop. Less of thought comes into your head, you take it, you, de- you destroy it in the name of Jesus. And you would be like, okay, devil, you try to come, if you want to be, be-, be beat up again, you come back. You don't want to get beat up again? Stay far away. He won't come back that often. He'll come back less often, you know. But if you don't understand this and you go, like, oh, I'm just a lustful person, I'm just an angry person, I'm just a bitter person, I'm just a I'm just a fleshly person, then you'll keep thinking you you hate yourself, you'll hate like everything around you. you, you like justify yourself. Stop it. Realize that it's not you. Realize that your job is simply to take it captive, put it in a prison, lock it away, and think about something else. Yeah? Proverbs 23. Oh, I'm almost out of time. Okay, let's let's do, do a few more verses. Proverbs 23 says this. Okay. Proverbs 23, um, Solomon had a had a very powerful mind. And because Solomon had a very powerful do you remember? This is what God gave him, right? Solomon said, Give me an understanding mind. And God gave him exactly that, a mind that understood. Solomon had a very powerful mind. And because Solomon had a very powerful mind, when he went into the occult and when he went into to, to idolatry and, and it, it was very powerful because it requires, spiritual power actually requires that your mind and your spirit come together in order to, you know what? Different conversation, different time. But, but Solomon understood the power of the mind very, very well. And Proverbs 23, starting verse six says this, okay, you really have to think about what this is saying um, because it's not that obvious from first appearances. It says, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. You eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Um, that verse there in the middle, the beginning of verse seven, the ESV has rendered this in a very weird way because you may not understand, but like you are not reading the original text of the Bible. You're reading somebody's interpretation of it. And as much as you know, translators like to say that you know, we're transparent, we just you know, tell you exactly what the word says, it's not true. It's, you know that because of all these different footnotes that are in your Bible where they explain to you what the word actually says, but then the way they translate it because they think that it should actually be this way. What it says at the beginning of verse 7 is, for as he calculates in his soul, so he is. Whereas the King James says, as, 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 um, as, as he is in his mind, so he is. And so this is what Solomon is saying. He says, do not eat the, man, the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For as a, as a man is in his, in his thoughts, in his mind, so he is. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. And what Solomon is saying here is this is very important. This is very, very important. You should not relate to, he says, do, it's a very dangerous thing for you to relate to someone on the basis of what they say to you. You need to relate to, to someone on the basis of what they think in their mind. How would you know that? But that's what he's challenging you to do. Do not relate to someone on the basis of the way that they present themselves to you. This is obviously hypocrisy. But he's not using that language. He's saying, do not relate to someone on the basis of the way they present themselves to you. The smile they show to you, the nice words they say to you. you know, the, Not those things. But relate to someone on the basis of who they are. And so he says, he's using stinginess as an example, right? So let's assume there's someone who's stingy. You know them to be stingy because you watch them through life. They're always stingy but they offer you bread. And they say, eat this, drink this. I'm so happy to share this with you. And Solomon says, don't do it. Do not do it. And he says, why is it that he's not do it? He says, because his mind is not with you. And that's a, very interesting, that's a very interesting thing to say. So even though in the natural he's blessing you with a bread and with a drink and whatever it is, his mind is not with you. And because his mind is not with you, and you know this because he's a stingy person, and he doesn't do this, it's not the sort of thing he does, that food is not real food, and that drink is not real drink. It's not really a blessing. The reason it's not really a blessing is because his mind is not in it to bless you. And so he says, don't, 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 you have to understand, this is the power of the mind, right? So if somebody's mind is not in it to bless you, they're just doing it in a forma way, if they're doing it in a performative way, if they're doing it in, in such a way to just, you know, just to, to, for appearances or whatever, don't take it. Don't take it because the fact that it's in mind is not with you means that the blessing is not, is not actually on it. Don't be fooled by the bread that you see in front of you. Understand that the power is not in the bread, it's in the thought that is behind it. And the thought is not there. So the, the bread is just it's an empty blessing. Don't be deceived. He says. But for most of us, we don't think that way. We we don't think like when someone offers us fries, we don't think do they want to share their fries? We just think, fries! Well, no, I'm sorry, not everybody, just me and I eat. But we just think fries, you know? Or when you know your boss offers you a bonus, you're like, bonus! You don't think, do you really want to give that to me? Do you really love me as an employee? Do they really, like, is that something that's actually in their heart? Or are they just paying me because they feel they had to pay? Like, we don't think these things. We're just like, oh, just blessings, blessings, blessings. But you don't understand that, like, the power of something is not in the material thing itself. It's in the thought that, it's in the power of the mind that comes behind it to fill it with life or death whatever it is. More verses, or you guys sort of getting tired? More verses? Good. Matthew chapter 5. This is a very weird, uh, I, I think, sort of, this is, a, this is a pretty kind of, it's kind of a weird um, teaching to include here, but I'm just going to include it anyway, because, I mean, you know, we're, we're just that kind of church, so. One of the primary strategies of the devil is to control your mind, not yours, but everybody's in the entire world, and to shape the way that you think about things. Uh, The first principle of mind control is to make sure the people you're controlling don't know they're being controlled. So rule number one, if somebody knows that they're being controlled, they will rebel against that. And you cannot, you cannot hold them under it because God has given everybody a free will and the ability to shape their mind. You can't control anyone's mind if they feel that they're being controlled. Therefore, they have to believe they're not being controlled. Um, from time to time, this will s- s- shock you. Okay, this will t- utterly shock you. But from time to time, people accuse me of being controlling. Um, if I were controlling, you wouldn't, you couldn't know it. The, the, the people, they don't understand how mind, what mind control is. If I were being controlling, you couldn't know it. The moment that you recognized that I was controlling, you would no longer be controlled. The people that are controlling you are the ones you don't know are controlling you. I, I, don't, I don't understand if this makes any sense. So when someone says you're, you're, you're controlling, um, okay, well, I must be really bad at it because, like, clearly, you know, like, so, so this is utterly irrational. Rule number one of mind control is you don't know you're being controlled. <laughs> That's how it is. If you know you're being controlled, you're not being controlled. It's hallelujah. <laughs> okay. All right. So, but the devil's very good at mind control. He's very intent on mind control and, and, and he, he's very good at doing it in such a way that you don't know that you're being controlled. Um, you, you know this perhaps, um, that (laughs) the devil wages a war about 20 to 30 years in this country reshaping homosexuality in the image of it. So instead of thirty years ago, people—if you ask people like you know what they thought about homosexuality—it's they would talk about the perversion of it. They would talk about the you know, the corruption of it. They would talk about the sinfulness and all that. Now you know people are like, you know, those are the happy. Those are the those are like the hip people. Those are like the, the fun people. Those are the people that are like on the cutting edge. You know, they're they're and what this is? What is this? This is this is a, a way of controlling thoughts of shaping thoughts and and of controlling the things that you think and it's just you don't not you because you're in this church but the society all around you you don't understand you're being like not you again society around you is so often controlled by things that like we don't really understand them and you ever realize that like you know what let's not go down that road i'm just gonna i'm gonna get in trouble but it happens also in the church Mind control happens in the church, and there's a few different ways in which people control the way that you think and what you do, and Jesus, in Matthew five, I'm gonna start in verse 33. This section says oaths in your Bible, right? Right? And Jesus is telling you not to make oaths, but what he's really telling you to do is not to try to control other people's minds. Again, you've heard it said, of old, you shall not swear falsely, you shall not perform to the Lord what you have sworn, uh, you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no, for anything more than this comes from uh, evil. The ESV says evil, but if you have an old transition, it says the evil one. Okay, so Jesus starts with the principle, of the Old Testament, and then he says that's, that's actually not a very good one, and then he explains to you why. Okay, so listen to this because this is really awesome. Are you ready? To, are you ready to be awesomeized? Okay, I love being awesomeized. You know, when I find something, I'm like, "Wow, God, you're so awesome." Are you ready to be awesomeized? Okay. Okay, get this. Okay, so Jesus, says, remember the Old Testament when <coughs> Moses told you don't lie. So if you swear to do something for God, you should do it. So it's like, don't lie, right? So if you, if you make a covenant with the Lord, if you promise God something, just make sure you do it, right? Jesus, that's what Moses told you. And he says, I'm going to tell you, don't make any, don't swear at all. Do not swear at all. And he says, listen, you're swearing. First of all, it's foolishness. Hello? First of all, it's foolishness. If you swear by heaven, heaven's the throne of God. What, like If you break your oath, does that in any way diminish God? It does not. But it may diminish God in the eyes of somebody else. It's not to swear by heaven, by the throne of God. Or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. This is very interesting. When I was um, younger, there was a a young lady uh, who uh, was explaining to, to, to me one time about a boyfriend that she had. And, um, and uh, she dated this guy, and he was really awesome, very handsome, very charming, Harvard grad, blah, 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 blah. And, um, but, uh, but at some point, she felt the relationship was wrong, and so she, she had to break it off. Um, and she, she felt like God had told, him, told her that she was supposed to go break it off with this guy. And, uh, and she was describing how she was like, breaking up with this guy, and she said, God told me to break up with him, but I very intentionally did not say God told me. I just said you know, whatever, we can't be together, well, whatever it is she said, I don't remember what it is she said. And it was very something very interesting because I realized that what she was doing, the, the, the idea that she was meditating what she was thinking about, what she was being intentional about, is actually what Jesus is talking about in this verse. When you go through normal day-to-day life, do not take the authority and the name of God and impose it in your day-to-day affairs and use the name of God to back up yourself. Do you know why? Because it 's a form of control over others. Whether or not God is with you is one cause. You should always be with God. Everything you do should be. Everything you do should be in submission to Him. You should always be consistent with God. But when you say the Lord said, what you're doing is you're trying to control someone else by usurping His throne his earth, his city, his wealth, his power, his authority, his name. You're, you're, it's the same thing as swearing by God. When you're swearing by God, what you're asking someone to, is to have confidence in you because they have confidence in God, right? That's what you're doing, is you're taking the name of God, and you could say taking the name of God, in man, but what you're doing is you're taking God, and you're, and, you're, and you're using God for your own purposes to control someone because they trust God, and so you want them to trust you, so you swear by God. But no, there's nothing you can help me with. Thank you. Why is Siri listening? I, I, I turned her off. It's like, stop it, Siri. Okay. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to you're trying to get somebody to believe you because they believe God, and we Christians do the same thing. Do this all the time. We're, we don't do it by swearing, but we do it by by talking. Like, oh, God showed me. God spoke to me. God told me. God did this to me. God did that to me. God led me. Everybody that like people do this so blatantly. It's the same thing as swearing God's name. It's the exact same thing. And the reason that you're doing it is to try to control other people. There's no other reason. You're trying to force them not to disagree with you by using the name of the Lord. And it's sin. I don't, I don't know what to say to you. Like, 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 it's, like, like it's sin. Like, if, if you tell me, for instance, God told me to marry that woman or this man, how can I disagree with you? I mean, if I were to disagree with you, you'd be like, no, he didn't. Like, then where are we, you know? Th- then, then where are we? But, but people normally would not disagree with you. They'd just be like, oh, well, it's not my business. Well, God spoke to you, how would I know? You know, it's just like, God is in your life. But, but the reason that you do this is, is why. It's because you desire to control what other people think about you. And it's, it's not right. And so that's why at the end of this, Jesus says, let, what, in King James, he says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no, right? But which is really elegant, and I really love it. The ESV sometimes, yeah. but he's, but Jesus says, "Let what you say be simply yes or no." Why is that? It's because when you when you simply say yes or no, you're giving other people the freedom to think and to choose for themselves. And then he says this: Anything more than that comes from the evil one. Anything more then yes or no, anything more than truth, which is spoken plainly for what it is, is is done in such a way to control someone else. And he says that comes from the evil one. That comes from the devil. When you say, God told me, yada, 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 you don't realize that came from the devil. And the reason you're doing it is because you want to control what someone else thinks. If you had no desire to control what someone else thinks, you would not. You, you, you would not take the name of God in that way because it wouldn't matter, right? Like, why, why would you do that unless you're trying to get them to, to you're trying to force them to agree with you? That comes from the evil one. That comes from the devil himself. Do not do it. Of course, God speaks to us. And, of course, there are times where someone may ask, well, you know, how, how do you come to this conclusion? Do you think the Lord spoke to you? Or do you think it's just, is it just your opinion? You say, no, no, I, I think the Lord spoke to me. Like, of course, there are times where you have to describe your process. you have to describe, like, you know, in the, among friends and things like that. You know, but when you're designed to justify yourself, when you're designed to defend yourself, when you're desiring to, like, to, to take a position about something and, and you want to, to stop you from disagreeing with you, that's, that is a way of controlling what they think. And God, do you see? He doesn't like that. He doesn't like that at all. It's not a passage about, about, I mean, it is a passage. Like, on the most basic level, it's a passage about oaths. But but more than that, it's about, can you conform your mind to such a way that you don't have a desire to control anyone else? Because that is a, a type of pride, and, and we have to empty ourselves of of this so that our thoughts can be, so that we can think thoughts correctly. Does that make any sense? All right. Um, I, I, need to, I need to close here, so I want to... Um, uh, I was going to tell you a few stories, but, but no stories. Okay, we're just, we're just going to end this. Um, because this is, this is really important. Okay, whatever you believe, that is what you are. Proverbs 23, 7. If you believe it, that's what you become. For that reason, Paul says, set your mind on things above. Colossians 3, right? 2, I think. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Because if you set your mind on the things of the earth, you'll be conformed to the things of this world. And Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Please get this. If you can renew the way that you think, everything about you will be transformed. If you can renew the way that you think, everything about you will be transformed. Renewing your mind is kind of... the, the, The picture that I really enjoy is, imagine that you had an old boat... And, and the pieces of wood on that boat were rotting. But you really loved the boat. You, know, you found memories of it or something like that, and so you wanted to keep the boat. You wouldn't take everything and just destroy all of it. What you would do is you would take off one plank at a time and then find a, a new piece of wood, paint it, varnish it, and then put it in that place. And then, you take, and then over time, if you, especially if you were poor and you didn't have the, the funds to do this all at once, and some people do this to houses. You know, they'll move into an old house and they'll restore it, you know, one plank, one brick at a time. Um, some of you may have experienced uh, doing this. But, um, but you, you renovate it you know, one, 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 one thing at a time. With an old boat, you would take you know, one piece of wood and you would, you would take it off and you set it aside and then you would put a new one there at a time. That's the, the picture of renewing your mind, of trans, being transformed by renewing your mind. It's one thought at a time. You shape this thought that it's an old way of thinking, it's a way of thinking of the world, and you take it and you set it aside and you replace it with a thought of Christ. Does that make any sense? And then you go and you find another piece of old wood, you take it, you, t- you, you, you take it off, and then, and then you, you, you exchange it with the thought of Christ. And what happens is that in time, you have renovated the entire boat by taking off one piece at a time. And every single one of your thoughts will have been transformed. Now you have a brand new boat. It's the same boat, but it's a new boat. Like, that, you know, it's kind of a metaphysical like paradox, but it's, it's the same boat, but it's a brand new boat. Because you've replaced it like one plank at a time with something that's brand new, something that's different. And that's what Paul wants for you to do so that you can be transformed to the image of Christ and not be conformed to the world. This is, this is, what, this is what you do to be changed into his an image. And it's not just about altar calls. It's about, it's about the thoughts that you replace one thought at a time with the thoughts of Christ. And maybe you replace three thoughts this week and five thoughts next week and seven thoughts a week after and two thoughts a week after that. It's, it's not about, you know, uh, what do I, it's just about making progress one plank at a time, one thought at a time, do you know? And in time, what you have built is the mind of Christ and it'll be strong enough to take you to the cross, which is an insane amount of strength, of, of, of mind, you know, conquering his body like that. Oh, it's, it's powerful, but, but what happens, the way that you do it, it's like exercise or anything else, it's like it's one thought at a time. It's one thought at a time. It's one thought at a time. The next time that lustful thought comes, you just take it and just, in the name of Jesus. The next time that angry thought comes, you just take it and you just, in Jesus' name. The next time that you get frustrated with someone, <laughs> you know you can actually choose to say, well, you know, you're just such a terrible person. You, you, you can choose to say, no, I actually, I love and honor you. And, and even though you did this, that was wrong. Even though you said this, that was wrong. Even though, you know, you thought this, or if I saw this, or it's just, I, that's, that's not what I meditate on. That's not what I choose to believe. I choose in my mind to believe that you're pure and good because I've seen those things inside of you. And even though in this moment, like we're having some struggles with a Z, like, you know, even though we're having some struggles right now, That's like, that's not, that's, I I do not believe that in my mind, that that's not in my mind, where I'm not populating my mind with all the offenses I have against you. I'm populating my mind with the thoughts of Christ towards you. And yes, I have a negative experience of you right now, and I'm not denying that it's a negative experience. We're not going to just like whitewash things, but at the same time, in my mind, I choose to not meditate on that. It's just one thought at a time. It's one thought at a time that, that says I'm not rejected, I'm accepted by God. You know, it's one thought at a time that says, you know, God sees me, He doesn't ignore me. It's one thought at a time that says my wife loves me, she doesn't hate me. You know, like it's like these things are really, they're they're like they're 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 one thought at a time. And and you should be able to think all the thoughts of Christ, not in a flippant, shallow way. I, I, I'm sure probably if you've been through life that you've met Christians that are, like are deeply anxious and deeply fearful and you ask me, hey, how's it going? And you're like, oh, everything's good, brother. Like, he's like, okay, that's not real. Like, stop that nonsense. I know that you're anxious. I know you're fearful. I know you're agitated. I know you're angry. Like, what? Because it's like, you know, trembling. like, there's so many different signs. Okay, so we're not, we're not talking about like lying, you know, to cover up like what's really going on inside. What we're talking about is taking those thoughts and conforming them to the right thoughts. Like one thought at a time until your mind becomes strong. How will you know that your mind is strong? Seriously, three signs in scripture. Number one, you're not double-minded. You think something and you go for it, and there's no one that gets in the way because you know that it's the will of God. You know, 70 years, Noah care. I've in the ark. For 70 years with no signs, with no break, like just you just single-minded devotion to the things of the Lord. Number one, you're not double-minded. Number two, you know the will of God. Knowing the will of God is actually a sign of maturity. Most people do not know it. If you were to be honest with yourself, you would recognize that there's a lot of areas in your life probably that you do not know the will of God. You know your own will. You know what you think is a good idea. You may even know what you think the Bible says about this and you know, what you think God would want you to do, but to know the will of God. There's so many things I don't know the will of God about. I, don't, I mean, when we order Chipotle, I don't know if the will of God is to order guacamole or not. I, I know it costs $3 more per person. I don't know if it's the will of God or not. Like, but 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 the mature person. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm joking, but I'm not joking. I'm 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 joking, um, but I'm not joking. Like like you know, to know the to to know the will of God is a sign of a mature mind. Jesus says in John chapter seven, is if anyone's will is to do the will of my Father, he will know whether the things that I'm saying are from God or not. Ooh, that's very interesting. If some if anyone has, has shaped their mind to know the will of God, then he will know the will of God. Well, that's the only way to know the will of God. The only way to know the will of God is to conform your mind so that you, dis, that you will to know his will. It's kind of weird, but, but, but that is the way it works. And number three, to be able to discern good from evil. I didn't read the next verse in, in Romans chapter 12 where Paul talks about discerning good from evil. For people that have trained their minds, the difference between good and bad, right and wrong, good ideas and bad ideas is very obvious. To other people it is not. And it's a, meant, it's a spiritual maturity but it's actually a mental maturity. I told you at the beginning. I don't think it's an over-exaggeration to say that. S- maturing spiritually is really about maturing mentally. Deciding not to set your mind on thoughts of selfishness, not to set your mind on self thoughts of arrogance, not to set your, your mind on thoughts of rejection, not to set your mind, but just choosing to think and to believe something and holding to that. See, if you can do that, you can, you can do anything. And I'm going to tell you something that like, you're going to think is like weird and cults and, you know, so, so if you're easily offended, just plug your ears for a second. You can bend a spoon with your mind if you train your mind to do it. That's the, the way that God has created you. He's created you with a mind that is able to shape the world around you, it's that powerful. You can bend a spoon with your mind if you train your mind to do it. There's nothing special about it, but you need to train your mind. You can, you can, have, you can have perfect photographic memory if you train your mind to do it. It's not one of those, like, some people have, some people don't oh, I just have a bad memory. Stop speaking that over yourself. If you want perfect memory, you will have perfect memory. Because God has created your mind to work that way. If you want perfect pitch, if you're a musician, you can have it. It's, it's, like, it's, it's that double-mindedness. It's, I want it and I want it, but I can't have it. I want it, but God doesn't want to give it to me. I want it, but I don't think that I can have it. I don't want it, but God hasn't given this to me. God has rejected me. He hasn't given me gifts. given other people gifts. He hasn't given me gifts. So I give up. It's, it's that kind of weak, immature-mindedness that causes you to not have it. But if you want it, you can have it. It's just that simple. It's that simple. If you can train up your mind, you can shape the world around you, you can shape yourself, you can shape the destiny you have in this life. This is not about, this is not like, oh, believe in yourself. This is believe in Jesus, but use the tools that Jesus has given you and do not be a victim in this life. Do not assume that you're a victim in this life. Oh, other people be more gifted than me. Not true. Apply your mind and, and you will rise, the, you, you will see he has made you extraordinarily powerful and, and able to do wonderful, amazing things. Beautiful and glorious things. I'm going to tell you a story and then I'm going to end here. A story you've heard before, some of you've heard before, but it's really uh, important so I want you to see it. There was a man who was a a believer in, in, uh, in England and he had a terrible hunchback. Really terrible. And one day he was praying to God for healing and God had not healed him. And one day he just decided, he said, God has healed me. Just like that. And he he decided. He said, I, "I decided God has healed me. I don't believe in my hunchback anymore. I believe that God has healed me." And so he said, "I'm going to tell everybody that God says so, so that he did." So he went through life, and and people people knew that he'd been praying about his hunchback, and he says, "I don't have a hunchback. God has healed me." And people go, "What are you talking about? Like, I see your back. You're like, like I see your back." And and, and, and people would mock him and would laugh at him, but he would just go around and he would just tell everybody, "God has healed me. God has healed me. I don't have a hunchback. God has healed me." And nothing happened. And this went on for two years. And at the end of about two years, one morning he woke up and he was completely healed. Just, for, but for two years, he told everybody that would listen to him, God has healed me. When he, it didn't, it didn't exist in the natural. It didn't exist. But you see, by not being double-minded, by just apply, and mockery, and and I mean laughing and 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 people like you know church people telling them, ah you must be misguided you're like you know what are you talking about you can't possibly like you know we, we see it I mean just putting up with 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 all that sort of nonsense it, and people are like oh he's not being real um no he's being real you just don't understand that that if you, if, if he had this little faith as everybody else like he would have never been healed what allowed him to be healed is just a single-minded like. This is the will of God. God has healed me. The blood of Jesus has paid the price. I will receive it in Jesus' name. And not shaking from that, not being tossed like a boat in the midst of a rough seas, you know? Not shaking from that, but just, I have been healed. 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 It, it, it changes physical realities. But, but most of us do not apply our heads that way to do this make sense all right when you fast you have to understand this is a this is an exercise of the mind what you're doing is not it's not about your body dying as although if you fast enough your body will it, it's not about that it, it's about your you're like it's not yes your spirit is empowered but the thing that you're the muscle you're exercising as you fast is 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 here is can you like this can this be conformed to the will of god in obedience to him it's this do you know and that's why fasting is so much like exercise, which I don't like. It always like they're totally different things. That's why fasting is so much like exercise. The same muscle that allows you to fast is the one that allows you to exercise. For those of you that can run like eight miles but you can't fast a few days, like what's wrong with you? It's the exact same thing. You know, get it together. Like it's, it's, it's the exact same thing and then there's, there's like can fast few days but we can't run. Okay, anyways. You know, it's, it's the exact same thing. It's the same muscle. And and being able to train this and allow it to raise up, like you be so impressed by what you can do if, if you train this. All right, let's stand up. We're gonna pray. Oh my Lord, have mercy. We gotta pray and, and get going here. Um, Carolyn or whoever's doing a reflection time, come, come up and, and do that, please. I want to encourage you to not leave here today without making a, 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 at least a small list of the things that you think that God does not agree with. And training yourself to get rid of those things. There may be things in your life that you like to be healed of that God has not healed you of yet. And you're just waffling about. Sometimes this way, sometimes that way. Sometimes God wants to heal me, sometimes God doesn't want to heal me. Sometimes God wants to heal me, sometimes God doesn't want to heal me. Maybe you don't believe in God's love. Sometimes God loves me, sometimes God doesn't love me. Sometimes God loves me, sometimes God doesn't love me. Maybe you don't believe that you're smart or that God has a will for you. Sometimes God has a will for me, sometimes God doesn't have a will for me. Like, you, you, figure out the things in your life where. Your thought pattern reveals your own immaturity to you. Not as a a condemnation of you in any way whatsoever. Not as a condemnation. But realizing that it is the will of God for you to take the thoughts and to submit them in obedience to Christ. And realizing that as you do that, you become changed. If you can renew your mind, you can transform yourself. If you can renew your mind, you can transform yourself. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to do it. So Father, we thank you and we ask your Holy Spirit to come into this room right now. And I ask God that this Sunday morning would not pass away without every single person in this room making a decision and picking up good practices. To be renewed in their thinking, in their meditations every single day. Father, I pray that you would raise awareness in us of the things that we think and our ability to shape them and control them. And I pray, oh God, that you would make us a church that thinks your thoughts and not our own. That you would make us a church that thinks the thoughts of heaven and now the thoughts of this world. That as your word says that we all, would all be of the same mind, which is your mind. A mind that is humble, a mind that is obedient, a mind that is steadfast, a mind that, that believes and does and chooses to imagine the things that are right and good in you. And that you would raise us up in this, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God love and honor you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now, I ask, God, that you would just bring conviction and understanding to every single person who's here, and that not a single one of us would leave this place without your thoughts, without an ability to channel your thoughts flowing through us and in us. Thank you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus.